Good morning, everyone. It's always good to be back with all of you. I was uh, telling Jill before we got started that at school I kind of talk a good game about trying to stay practical and not get too like esoteric and academic and we'll like give the theology PhD students a hard time and are like, what you're doing is so abstract. We're focused on like ministering to the people. And then my wife asked me what I was preaching about this morning and I was like, the concept of time. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see if we can keep it a little practical and, um, and relevant, I hope. So the two years, two months, and two days that our Unitarian ancestor, Henry David Thoreau, spent in his cabin at Walden Pond were marked by radical change in the town of Concord. The telegraph and rail travel were rapidly replacing the horse for transporting people and ideas. So the rail lines had been built in Concord just a few years before Thoreau went to stay at Walden, and he could hear the trains from his cabin. And he had many concerns about the railroad, some of which were obviously about the environmental impacts on his beloved Walden Woods. But Thoreau was also concerned about how the railroad would change humans' relationship to space, time, and movement. And Walden, he writes, I watch the passage of the morning cars with the same feeling that I do the rising of the sun, which is hardly more regular. Thoreau recognized the way that modern technology could be as reliable a time marker as the Earth's natural rhythms. But recognizing this is true isn't the same as recognizing it as good, and Thoreau did not think this was good. In Walden, Thoreau bemoans time as measured by mechanical clocks, which he thinks prevent us from living in the present moment. That's where he thinks the divine is found. All questions rely on the present for their solution. Time measures nothing but itself. God himself culminates in the present moment and will never be more divine in the lapse of all the ages, he writes. Now Thoreau was a really brilliant guy. He was curious and well-read, so he might have known that some of the earliest mechanical clocks were invented by Benedictine monks for the purpose of keeping a really strict prayer schedule. The Benedictines did, and still do, mark their days by eight times of liturgical prayer. Dawn, sunrise, mid-morning, midday, mid-afternoon, sunset, retiring or bedtime, and then an hour of the night watch. And this is in addition to keeping a year-long liturgical calendar marked by seasons like Advent, Epiphany, and Lent. And this calendar traces the story of Jesus's life and the history of the Christian faith, including various saints. So the Benedictines are very serious about keeping time. Poet Kathleen Norris, who spent time living uh, with Benedictine monks, writes, the Benedictines, more than any other people I know, insist that there is time in each day for prayer, for work, for study, for play. Liturgical time is essentially poetic time, oriented toward process rather than productivity, willing to wait attentively in stillness rather than always pushing to get the job done. For something with so many standard measures, there is kind of a shocking disagreement about time. What is it, how we measure it, and how we should mark it? I think this is especially true when it comes to our religious and spiritual lives. I took a class about worship design at Vanderbilt, and the first text we were assigned 
was a text about time and the invention of various calendars and how Christians decided when Easter was and when a day begins and when a day ends. So before we could even get into anything about choosing hymns or composing prayers or preaching, we read about time. There are clearly deep connections between time and our spiritual lives, between clocks and calendars and how we experience the divine, relate to each other, and understand ourselves and our place in the world. I find myself thinking about time a lot during this time of the year in particular, in part because I really love the patient, quiet waiting of Advent and in part because I think these short days and long nights change how we experience time physically, right? Like how often in these past few weeks has it been like 7 p.m. and I'm like, it feels like midnight. And in part because I think the holidays seem to really kind of drive home the moral judgments and I think exploitive possibilities of time, right? Like companies are providing us with countdowns for shopping days until Christmas, which I don't know about you, which just makes me feel stressed and rushed and overwhelmed and just kind of encourages excessive consumption. We judge our neighbors for putting up Christmas decorations too early or taking down Halloween decorations too late. We let those red Starbucks cups and peppermint frappuccinos tell us when it is officially Christmas time. And our Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, and pagan neighbors find their own ways of marking holy time overshadowed by a capitalist, secularized version of American Christianity. Time, it seems, is fraught. And maybe that is why we, as Unitarian Universalists, have never really been able to agree on any kind of liturgical calendar. I mean, the UUA usually releases a calendar of holy days and some secular celebrations. There are a few different curriculums that some congregations use that involve monthly themes. And we have some denominationally specific traditions like flower and water communion, homecoming, or coming of age that are celebrated widely, but certainly not universally or consistently. We have nothing resembling the Christian liturgical calendar or lectionary. Maybe it's just too hard and too controversial to decide how we mark time as Unitarian Universalist. Even as someone who thinks about this a lot, I feel equally compelled by both Henry David Thoreau's quotes asking us to really focus on the present and Kathleen Norris's kind of poetic understanding of the simultaneously expansive and cyclical liturgical time. How can we think about marking time in a way that honors all of our principles and sources, that celebrates our faith as a living tradition, that helps us embrace the divine moment of the present without forgetting our past? I think there is, maybe, more synergy between Thoreau and Norris than one might imagine. I think liturgical time, with its repetition, its emphasis on seasons and cycles, and its embrace of story and history, can help us both live more fully in the present and resist some of the destructive modern forces that Thoreau saw represented by the railroad cutting through his beloved woods. And I think developing a Unitarian Universalist sense of time, whether as a broader faith, as local communities, or as individuals, is both possible and perhaps necessary for carrying our faith into the future. Today, I'd like to lay out the why and then invite us to have some fun together thinking about the how. First, and perhaps most crucially, as Unitarian Universalist, 
We are people who believe that the long arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. In 1852, Unitarian minister Theodore Parker preached, look at the facts of the world. You see a continual and progressive triumph of right. I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight. I can divine it by conscience. But from what I see, I am sure that it bends towards justice. This is one of the great enduring strengths of our faith. It is one reason why we've always been on the forefront of social justice movements. So why Unitarian ministers acted in truly radical ways during the 19th century, hiding escaped slaves in their homes and funding John Brown's raid. It's why James Reeb followed Martin Luther King Jr.'s call for clergy of conscience to join him in Selma, Alabama. It's why we have been marrying same-sex couples, supporting our trans youth, and making our churches sanctuaries for undocumented immigrants for decades. But the downside of this unwavering belief in linear progression is that we can be left bewildered, bereft, or paralyzed when there are setbacks. I mean, how many of us spent those first days after the 2016 election just staring at the television with our jaw on the floor? How could this have happened? I can't believe this happened. I think developing a deeper relationship with seasons and cycles and rhythms provides us a space to remember that almost nothing is straight or linear. Spending time sitting in the dark every year and then intentionally welcoming the light reminds us that while darkness doesn't last forever, it does usually come back. The arc might bend towards justice, but it is going to loop and sway on its way there. If we are used to that rhythm, if we know it in our bones, I think we will be more resilient more prepared to work through those setbacks and stay in the work for justice. Next, I think marking time through stories can be an important way of helping us stay connected with our past, which provides us both lessons and inspiration we will need for building our future. When people ask us about Unitarian Universalism, I expect most of us reach for the seven principles, maybe the six sources. We emphasize our openness and welcoming and lack of a creed. But I know sometimes I long for something less amorphous and more concrete. Because we are a people with a story, with a history, good and bad and everything in between. You know, many of the world's religious traditions mark time by retelling their story, right? Over the course of a year, Christians move through Jesus' birth, life, crucifixion, resurrection, and the formation of the early church. They also celebrate their ongoing story by marking saint days. Jewish holidays like Passover and Hanukkah tell the story of God's work in history and the resilience of the Israelites. The annual retelling of a story is a reminder that we are living our faith as part of an ongoing conversation throughout history. Faith is not merely an intellectual assent to ideas or doctrines or principles but something that is lived, that is practiced, and that is borne out in the context of history and society. Sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we get it very, very wrong, and we can learn from both of those as we figure out how to build the future we want to live in. As people who welcome folks from all backgrounds do not require you to check your beliefs or history at the door and find wisdom from a myriad of spiritual traditions, 
We can and do share in the stories of these various faith traditions, but they do not tell the complete picture of our faith. We are the faith of Theodore Parker and Ralph Waldo Emerson, Louisa May Alcott, and Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. Our youth led the charge to merge the two denominations in the 1960s, and in the 1970s, our own Beacon Press published the Pentagon Papers. We have shown up for justice when others stayed home, and stayed home when we should have shown up. We have a long and fascinating and complicated history. What would it mean to tell the story of our faith over and over until we know it and feel it in our bones? To feel the pain of the times we fail to live up to our values, to feel pride for and connection with our ancestors who fought for justice, to not let ourselves forget either of those feelings and not let ourselves draw on them only when it's convenient. You know, we might not agree theologically with the idea of sanctification, but I still think there can be some value in connecting with our history and in our stories in a way that is kind of regular and cyclical. Right? Imagine one day a year where we honor our abolitionist ancestors, for example. This day of reflection on the past would provide a new window with which to help us view the present moment. Every year it would be a chance to ask, how does the struggle continue today and how are we called upon to act? I also think thinking really deliberately about time as a way of honoring our seventh principle, respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Time, although amorphous and as we've seen often socially constructed, has always been interwoven with sunsets and seasons, shaping our church year in ways that align with the cycles of the natural world reminds us that as much as we try with our glowing screens and winter lamps and our desire to hop on a plane and head to a Caribbean beach when it gets too cold, we cannot escape our connection to the natural world. I think we do a better job of this than maybe some of the other areas I'm discussing today, right? I think celebrating the seasons is about as close as we can get to a kind of pluralistic and somewhat secular spiritualized conception of time. And I think our worship as Unitarian Universalists often reflect this. But are we really honoring the way the natural world asks us to keep time? We might read some pretty poetry about the long, still winter nights, but do we also provide each other with the grace and space to slow down and rest in winter? Do we truly let ourselves believe in rebirth and resurrection in the spring? even when it means changes to our comfortable status quo. Honoring the rhythms of the natural world can help us honor our human rhythms, even if those rhythms don't align to a perfectly efficient and productive church year. And last, I think ordering time differently can also help us transgress some of the more insidious ways we mark time in our modern society. And this is where I'm gonna get a little preachy, but know that I am in large part preaching to myself. I joked earlier about knowing that it was Christmas time because of the red Starbucks cups. And I am certainly not immune to this desire. It's what, December 4th, and I've already had a peppermint mocha, a caramel brulee latte, and a Irish cream cold brew, I think. <laughs> but do the values of Starbucks, or any multinational corporation for that matter, align with our Unitarian Universalist values? Are we comfortable with a world where we inaugurate an era of holy time 
by buying a product that contributes to environmental degradation and union busting. Right, it's not summer until you've bought this thing or paid the mission price for this like amusement park. And fall isn't about how we, the leaves teach us how to let go. Fall's now about a perfectly Instagrammable trip to the apple orchard and the like new tall brown boots and your flannel <laughs> and your like pumpkin spice latte, right? We've gotten so used to marking time by buying and consuming. What if we celebrated the seasons in ways that aligned with our UU values? I know it's Christmas when I make my first donation to the food pantry. Or I know it's spring when we gather together to clean up the community garden and get it ready for the season. We do not have to live by Starbucks's rhythms, even if they are delicious. <laughs> and finally, I think a shared sense of Unitarian Universalist time connects us with each other. I love looking at my Facebook feed around late August and early September and seeing the joyful pictures from different congregations' homecoming services. That moment of coming back together after summer vacations and kind of pared down programming, that reconnecting and recommitting to community and the sense of possibilities of a new church year. Even though those aren't my congregations, I recognize their joy and am grateful for the vibrant network of congregations and fellowships that make up our larger faith. Some of our specifically UU traditions, like flower and water communion, serve a similar function. Knowing that UUs across the country and the globe are celebrating in similar ways helps me feel connected to this chosen faith. And on a more intimate level, celebrating rituals and traditions together in community strengthens bonds within our congregations and fellowships. They provide a chance to recommit to each other, to reflect on where the congregation is, is at compared to the same time last year, to recognize that while much of congregational life is ever-changing, the bonds that hold us together remain. A shared sense of time can help us as Unitarian Universalists be resilient in the face of injustice and offer a counter-narrative to our society's dominant values of consumption while staying connected to our story, to the earth, and to each other. I'm not necessarily suggesting the adoption of a Unitarian Universalist-wide liturgical calendar with set rituals and prayers. That is far beyond my pay grade at this point. <laughs> I am only suggesting that it is worth some deliberate thought as a denomination, as congregations, and even as individuals, right, with the power to craft our own personal rituals and spiritual rhythms and practices from celebrating UU Saint Days to sermon series, annual volunteer efforts, art projects, poetry readings, the possibilities are more than I have the time or capacity to imagine alone. There are so many ways of marking time in our society. What would it look like to choose a uniquely Unitarian Universalist one? One that honors our history and values and that embodies our connection to the natural world, that recognizes the long struggle for justice and celebrates the coming of the beloved community we are working to build. I hope we can imagine the possibilities together. May it be so, and amen.